Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bierman. We are joined, as always, by our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We are also joined by our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And of course, Erica is working the dials. Later in the show, we are all looking forward to our conversation with play-by-play broadcaster of the WNBA's Washington Mystics and former Hamiltonian, Megan McPeak. So, it's been a while since we've recorded a podcast. Um, since we last recorded, a lot has been going on in the world. The murder of George Floyd set off a wave of protests calling for not only justice in his case, but for justice in countless cases of police brutality and racial profiling. Um, these protests have led to a national and international uh, conversation about systemic racism, white privilege, Uh, acknowledging the existence of both and identifying a path to real change now and into the future. Obviously, um, I think because of the enormity of the moment and out of respect for these heavy and important issues, we decided it was best to sort of take a moment before immediately jumping back into recording. Uh, So here we are. We're all together. It makes me happy to see all your faces. How has everybody uh, been? Yeah, normally we'd... Uh, when things are going on in the news, we'd be texting each other and saying, oh, let's talk about this, let's talk about that. And we get excited to do a podcast. But um, with everything going on, none of us even texted each other. We just all kind of assumed, yeah, they're like, you know what, this is not uh, the time to be weighing in. It's actually way more interesting uh, just to be listening to the other uh, leaders and the other ideas that are out there that probably haven't been heard enough in the past. And, but we actually had a really... Um, enlightening time just sharing just the words of other people and a lot of people have been doing that on instagram obviously just like sharing resources for how we can learn more who you can donate to how we can better educate ourselves um i i particularly love shad shad's like a dear old friend of uh, the band and he's always been a really kind of wise beyond his years kind of guy and just like kind of approaches life with just this sort of a grace and wisdom that i've always admired so much and so that's the kind of thing that we've been sharing and um it just felt like, uh, yeah, now, now, now is the time just to, at least when it comes to the Arkell's perspective, to, uh, to, to sh- you know, share the space in, in, in a bigger way. But um, when it came to this family tree stuff, like uh, what, uh, what was the angle? When just it- pass the ball to Alex and uh, she knows what to say, man. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, Alex, although she is a white woman, she's also an educator. She's spoken on issues like this before and this issue specifically. In fact, she created a project for her class uh, based around the Black Lives Matter movement. So we, we, we were just basically speaking on our thoughts on it, how we have to look inwards uh, and be more inclusive and the guests we have on our podcast, just kind of stream of consciousness. And I guess we kind of had the ideology, even if we don't say the perfect thing and we're failing and falling and stumbling, at least we're stumbling forwards in hopefully the right direction. But I understand a lot of, there's a lot of different positions here. Like there's okay, everyone, let's all talk. And then there's people who are like, let's shut up and actually listen. And for us, what seemed to work best and feel right was to listen and to talk about it. Yeah, you know, the one thing I really loved about how quickly things moved in the last three months is that I remember when Black Lives Matter came about in 2013, I think, is that that's when the movement really started, just, just that phrase in particular. And for a lot of people, I think me and myself included, it felt like, I'm like, okay, I haven't really thought about it in this particular way. And then, okay, sh- sure. But like, I didn't, I think a lot of people didn't take it as seriously or fully understand what that 
sentiment really was trying to articulate. Um, but in, in a matter of like three weeks, so many people not fully understood it, but much more uh, comprehensively had an understanding as to like why that expression is so important for people to really think about and really dig in on. And I thought that was really cool because, you know, people, I think a lot of people are conservative by nature and, and don't love change and are stubborn and don't like being told what to do. Like those are just like a lot of just basic human characteristics. And I, and I found it really encouraging to see this thing that should be acknowledged happen so quickly and just like public sentiment um, really sort of favor that idea in, in a much larger way than, you know, three months ago, say. Yeah, I, I think that people are far more receptive and sort of willing to acknowledge systemic racism and the idea of white privilege. Whereas like you said, you know, five years ago, if you were to bring up Black Lives Matter, people, a lot more people were, were dismissive or they took it personally, you know, like they saw it as some mm. sort of like encroaching on, on, on their freedom somehow. Um, but now I feel like people do understand the message and it's sad that it took, you know, more, uh, like an incident, uh, like the, the murder of George Floyd and these sort of massive protests, um, and, sh- and show of unity and, and how many people are sort of are willing to, to, to speak up and give spaces and places to sort of amplify, uh, voices, um, that have been marginalized and are affected, uh, by the way things have been set up. And it also means that like, you know, uh, white people have to sort of take a step back um, and, and say, okay, you're right. It's like, listen to their experiences and then ultimately find a way that we can move forward with the system changed because, you know what I mean? Obviously, it's geared towards certain outcomes at this point. Um, and people are just far more aware of that. And I think another thing, too, that like has kind of happened is uh, some people mistake silence with like not caring or not um, supporting or something like that. And so some people aren't very demonstrative. Some people aren't going to, to post something every day on their Instagram or, what, or whatever. So there's not sort of activists in that way and they can sort of help in their own way. And I'm, very, I'm interested to know like how you guys feel about sort of the display of support if you support and it's you know it's still Facebook is such a toxic place you go on there you're going to see the whole spectrum but I will say that like just anecdotally my Facebook it feels like you know the high school set the people used to go to school with who used to be a lot more sort of like vocal about um, say like all lives matter and things like that would push back they're a lot more receptive to sort of acknowledging um sort of the systemic uh, issues that have been sort of like plaguing us for countless and countless years. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested because like for me, you know, like Danica has been posting, she posts stories and stuff like amplifying or like educational. And I haven't posted like a ton of things on my Instagram just because I'm like, sometimes I'm like, it's like, am I being performative? It's, it's very weird. So it's almost like I want to, I want to make it clear where I stand. So there's no sort of like um, confusion as to like, yes, I support this. I absolutely believe that all of these things are happening and that they need to be corrected. Um, and then, you know, I'll donate. But it's, again, it feels so like kind of like minimal just to sort of like throw money at something. But it's like, I don't know how to sort of like publicly show my support where it doesn't become sort of this avalanche of like a performative support. Does that do you guys hear what I'm saying? I think everyone feels that, but the key is to kind of fight through that and do it anyway. Alex was really passionate about it, and she was doing so much on her Instagram account. And then we thought any insecurity or worry or embarrassment you have about seeming like a virtue signaler, you just got to fight through it and do it anyway. That's just what we thought. Yeah, I think it's about like really checking in with yourself um, and and going like, okay, am I? It's one thing to you know spread the word it's another thing to act um 
you know, according to your morals and your moral and like, you know, walk towards uh, the direction of your moral compass and, you know, actually put your your money where your mouth is and walk the walk, I think is what I'm really trying to say. Mm -hmm. And so it's so, you know, there's there's one part in spreading the the message. And the next thing is, you know, if you're in a conversation with somebody who says something out of line, are you speaking up or are you acknowledging just other privileges in your life in in a real and meaningful way that sometimes will make, should make you feel uncomfortable? Like, because if it's just the one, that's probably not the point. But if it's a combination of just like of that, Mm -hmm. plus really checking in with yourself, I think that that's like you know what people are looking for when it comes to actually making tangible progress. Yeah, like yeah. Fighting through the embarrassment and the awkwardness and doing it anyway. Being authentic and also you know what we're talking about now. You know it's funny because like it's like these are just sort of like fighting through the embarrassment. These are just social constructs where we're like oh it feels performative and it's like but the truth is the issue is so much bigger than that. You know there's people that mm-hmm. are scared to drive their fucking cars at night because they're black, because they're going to get pulled over and there's going to be issues. You know what I mean? So it's like mm-hmm. the, the, the cause we're all talking about is so much more important than I guess and these sort seeming of like disingenuous online. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it, like you said, it is, it is pushing through that and sort of like supporting it in the ways that, that you can. Yeah. I think another thing that I really liked and appreciated was just, uh, just the kind of conversation just within like our friend, our group of friends yeah. And and just how it got everybody thinking about their own actions and the role they play. And 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 a lot of times the role they play in this case is just like the luck that you were born into, like just by in many cases just being a white guy, uh, which is probably the, the most privilege somebody can have. But it just reminded me of the Me Too movement. Like you you really thought about that in a much different way. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to Black Lives Matter. It's like you you're thinking about the way race plays a part in our culture in a much different way. And the paradigm just changed very quickly all of a sudden. And it let, and I think it led to a lot of really good conversations and really like a lot of like inward looking thoughts as to like, you know, how how you're a part of that. Cause like overt racism is so obvious, but it's the subconscious racism and the subconscious misogyny. So, but but I think after me too, we really began to dig into that. And And that's what like, even on this family tree, we were thinking like, okay, we're not racist, but have we had one black guest in 50 episodes? No. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was like that type of thing we really started to think about, which goes kind of beyond the more overt. And I think overall, like what, what, What's happening, and this is sort of the evolution of the way that we think as a society and the way that we act, is ultimately we are thinking. We're thinking about things that we that we didn't want to think about before or that were inconvenient to think about because ultimately people just want to like watch a baseball game and have a hot dog and not think too much, you know? And it's like now we're forced to confront these things that are real. And and then we have, once you know, you know, and you can't, then if you you actually act a certain way, then you're kind of a shitty person. You have to confront that. And so the more people that can become aware of these constructs that are, you know, oppressive or gear the system to certain people, the more that they can sort of change those behaviors because now you're sort of aware you can no longer be ignorant. Um, and that seems to be what to Max's point, what Me Too did uh, for, you know, <laughs> some stuff as simple as like inter-office politics, you know, between between men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's all changed. And now I think that, you know, on a larger scale than we have been, we're all going to start thinking. And the thing is like, like, you know, you're saying, Max, conversations that we have, like, I think progressive people are having versions of this conversation or have been having versions of this conversation. What the protests feel like it's doing is it's making it like a national and international conversation uh, that people can't avoid. So now it's like at every dinner table in America and 
it feels like that's the sort of push that it needed to, to be in the forefront. And that's what it feels like is happening in this moment anyway. Okay, guys, it is time to get to our featured guest. Like I said off the top, we have Megan McPeak, who felt like a natural fit, particularly for this moment in time as sports are on the precipice of coming back. The WNBA, where Megan is a broadcaster, is one of the leagues gearing up to return. Also, as a black Canadian living and working in Washington, D.C., she can share her perspective on the protests and how they intersect with sports. You guys want to get to Megan? Let's do it. All right, so uh, for our listeners, Megan is the play-by-play broadcaster uh, for the Washington Mystics, as well as the Capital City Go-Go, who are the uh, the Wizards G League team. Um, she was the former voice of the Raptors 905, which I watched a lot of, so it's nice to have her on. Uh, and this is actually a good tidbit I got on her. She also became the first female play-by-play broadcaster in 30 years to call an NBA game when she called a Wizards-Pistons preseason game. So without further ado, uh, Megan McPeak, thanks for coming on the Michael Much Podcast. I am, uh, I'd like to say, correction on my intro, 2019 WNBA champion, Washington Mystics. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. And by the way, the the full scope of the introduction should be that she's not just some hoop head, hoop head that we love. It's, uh, she's also the sister of one of our dear friends, Matt McPeak, and you guys grew up together. So that, I mean, there's there's a bit of an inside scoop here. We didn't just grab her out of nowhere. It's very true. If, if listener, regular listeners of the pod have heard us talk about Peak, uh, our our dear friend, you are his sister. I just didn't, I, I didn't want to seem like a nepotism play, you know? And it's like, she's got her own credentials. No, the nepotism is okay because he has, uh, he has finally accepted the fact that I am officially the cooler sibling of the Mc, Mc <laughs> siblings now. <laughs> so this is, this is this for me is actually kind of cool because I mean, Veerman, you know, growing up, like he picked on me as the older brother and me being the younger sibling. So I officially get my sweet sweet revenge now being on the pod and being the cooler sibling. So and I'm the favorite child. So. <laughs> I don't think Peak's been on the pod. Uh, Never. Has, 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 I don't think he has. No. There you go. You're, you're no. beating him to the spot. It's good. <laughs> so you're down in Washington right now. This is where you're calling in from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the epicenter. <laughs> the epicenter. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, I feel like there's so much to talk about, but the place we're going to start, which we do with all our guests, is sort of like uh, how you got to, to your job. Because play-by-play announcing feels like such a niche job, and there's only you know a handful of them uh, in North America. Like... How does your path go? Did you always want to be play-by-play? Like, you're like, that's what I want to do. Or was it like, I want to be in the league? What what was your path and what was your thought process? So when I was at Humber um, taking their radio program, I was doing it in the sense of, like most athletes, like, okay, what am I going to do after I'm done playing? I wanted to play professionally, whether it was overseas, whatever it may be. Um, And just with a series of injuries and then a really bad concussion to finish my college career, I accepted the fact that pro was not going to be my thing. Um, just especially with overseas at the time, they weren't, if you had any type of brain injury, they weren't really taking, um, import players too seriously, especially with really bad concussions. And that's unfortunately what I had. So my post playing career turned into right after college and. Um, when I was at McMaster for the four years there, um, you guys know, you know, growing up in Hamilton with 
McMaster football and basketball, Dr. Don um, was the voice of CFMU. So he was actually the play-by-play person for the radio station and he fell ill, subsequently passed away. And because of that, it kind of shifted me from doing the analyst position into doing play-by-play because when he got sick, um, they needed someone to fill in. And uh, Jamie Tanon at the time, who brought me on at Mac, asked if I would be comfortable doing that. And here I am. It's crazy to think that was 10 years ago. Um, 10 years later, it's my career. And those like first three games that I did, I remember, you know, my mom, you guys, you guys know Liz. She would drive me to every single McMaster game, road game or not outside of going to Ottawa or Windsor. Um, and after like my third game doing play by play, I was like, I want to do this for a career. I don't want to be an analyst. And the, the rest is basically history, which is crazy to think that, you know, I originally wanted to be an analyst, uh, because of Doris Burke. I wanted to be the Canadian mm-hmm. Doris Burke as most female broadcasters in sports want. They want that level of not just recognition, but that level of respect from the coaches and athletes. And um, I'm still striving to get to there, but from a play-by-play aspect. How did how did you um, transition to the Raptors in 05? Because that's a pretty big jump. Like, are, are you like naturally like sort of like someone who like networks and is able to sort of like see all of the opportunities? Because in some ways, like as, as an athlete, it's like... Even like a career can be a game where you can see sort of like opportunities or deficiencies or ways to sort of like uh, be like, that's something I can take advantage of. I can get in here. Are you sort of were you thinking of that as you plotted your career or were you sort of just going with the flow? I was kind of going with the flow. I, I'll be honest. And this is something that I struggled with and still do. Um, and I tell whenever I talk to college students or high school students, I always preface it with saying I myself struggle with this even now at this point in my career, I, I hate networking, but it is so important in this business. It, to be honest, it's important in sports period, no matter what area in sports you're in, you have to network because your talent and your knowledge can only take you so far. You need to make those relationships because when it comes down to, you think about 30 opportunities in the NBA, when something comes up, whether it's a coach, general manager, video coordinator, it does not matter. It's one of 30. You need people in your corner to vouch for you. And that's where networking comes into play. So for me, it was not only networking and getting comfortable with that, because as you guys know, like networking can sometimes feel so inauthentic Mm -hmm. and forced. And that's something that I have tried to learn to do and make the connections while also having an authentic conversation with that person. Because let's be real, you go into a conversation with someone they know and you know your 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 purpose is to network with them, but you also want to build a genuine relationship. And that's something that I started changing was instead of just networking, build a relationship. And because of doing that early on and realizing that it was easier and more authentic that way, it allowed me to take my four years at Mac, turn that into um, networking with people and building relationships, which led me to doing uh, the Brampton A's in the National Basketball League of Canada, which then allowed me to network and build relationships even more, which turned into three years with the 905 and and in that Toronto Raptors umbrella, which allowed me to then build relationships and network myself to the United States. You guys know my I, from my brother, I've always wanted to be in the United States. And, you know, being an import now, you have to network properly so that someone is willing to 
bring you across the border. And I had to build those authentic relationships, which allowed me to get to that point. And because of that, our general manager here with the Capital City Go-Go, Pops Mensabansu, I built a relationship with him and he vouched for me when this opportunity came about. And because of that, I'm now basically living out my dreams and trying to get to the NBA level consistently. You know, Meg, I think another thing you you point at um, is if you're able to network authentic, like with some authenticity, it doesn't feel like networking, right? right. And I, I listen to Zach Lowe's podcast, and he says like one of his favorite things to do during the NBA Finals is go for dinner with some coaching staff or uh, you know one of the front office people that he's covering. And he's it sounds like he just genuinely likes the conversation because he loves basketball. You know, he's talking to somebody who loves basketball. There's lots of gossip, I'm sure. There's lots of strategy to talk about. So if you can, if you like your job, it's probably a little bit easier to have those more honest conversations because it, it just feels like you're talking about something you have in common with someone. It's not like, oh, hey, do, do you think I could, you know, you're shimming up to them in like exactly. in sort of a lame way. Exactly. You know? Especially so that, to Max, to your point, like in Zach Lowe's position, it's a little different than mine. Like he and the other writers that cover sports, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, whatever it may be, the beat writers that are consistently covering the sport on a daily basis, they need those relationships to get the inside. Like Woj doesn't have Woj bombs mm-hmm. and Shams doesn't, they, they are not two of the best in the game if they don't have those authentic relationships with players, agents, front offices, coaches, they don't find out that information if they don't have those authentic conversations. And I think finding, and sometimes to be honest with you, it's not even basketball that you're, you, you talk about, you might find out that, you know, you, you have a hobby that you have in common with someone or, you know, Mm -hmm. a favorite food or a wine, or, you know, you both enjoy golf in your off time. Like it can be something unrelated to basketball that turns into one conversation, which ends up into another and so on and so on. And before you know it, you build these relationships with people. And I've been able to do that, you know, throughout my career at different levels. And it's, it's, it, I don't want to say it's come in handy, but it's benefited me. And I've been able to benefit from it authentically because people get to know you and know who you are. Because if if you're a horrible person or, you know, an angry person, if a job comes open in in any industry, no one's going someone's not going to want to vouch for you because they're you're not going to necessarily want, you know, that person you're a bad the, hang. Right. You're just a bad exactly. hang. No one wants, no one wants you on the hang. team. <laughs> yeah. Um making the move to the states, was it hard to like get a visa? Like the mechanics of that always seems so intimidating to me. Like it, I'm sure everybody harbors like we've all thought about like, oh, I wonder what would happen if a job opportunity came up in the states. Would I go down there? And it just seems like there's so many roadblocks. Was it easy for you to get down there once you sort of had the position? You know, at Monumental, they worked with a lawyer who's familiar with doing the visa process, familiar with immigration. Um, and it was really easy to work with them. And, you know, emailing back and forth. They just needed as much information from me as possible. And then they, the, the lawyer basically took control of the situation and handled it um, and, and did it for me. So, you know, it comes, it comes in handy when you have someone um, like a company that's willing to help you with the process or assist you in the process. If you're doing it on your own, it is definitely a daunting process. Um, even just doing the research when I was interviewing for the position, um, was very daunting. So I was very, very thankful and grateful that they brought in a lawyer that assisted with it uh, because she basically just asked me for, you know, name, date of birth, all that information, and then handled it until, you know, she had a couple more questions that they needed information on. And then I didn't hear from her 
until she let me know that the visa was approved and I was good to go. The um, the night that the Mystics won the championship, uh, <laughs> which was awesome. Like it was all over Instagram. Like I was, I was actually watching the game and then I was messaging you a bit. Um, do you, as somebody who's working, allow yourself to actually party uh, hard or are you like, uh, no, nah, I'm just going to sort of uh, celebrate in a very sort of safe way? So it was very interesting for me covering the finals because the team I work for was in the finals. So I had a rooting interest, but I had to take that portion of, you know, my job and put it aside and remember that I was there to cover two teams. I was there to cover Connecticut and I was there to cover Washington. So I realized um, that I had it in me to do it because, you know, you look at that opportunity and you jump at it. But then at the same time, you're like, well, damn, like my own team is in this. I want them to win because it would be an amazing season, but you have to be impartial. So I, you know, had a conversation with myself before uh, the first day of practices and kind of just remembered and reiterated to myself, like, you've got to, you've got to focus equally on both teams. And then, you know, game five happens. And um, that fourth quarter, I kind of just like turned it off. I was like, it's like, no, like this, this is insane. <laughs> um, so I was, I was floor level preparing for post game interviews when, and I went down probably three minutes into the fourth quarter and it was the longest fourth quarter I have ever experienced. And you guys know, like I played, I've been in, you know, I've been part of big, big teams and big games. And when you're in it, it's, it's one thing, but standing and watching these women, fighting for what they wanted. It was insane, especially knowing where they were last season. Um, so, and because like the process of me doing the interviews and getting this job was during last year's WNBA finals, I had a rooting interest last year in, in 2018 when they played Seattle. So I also had that rooting interest, like, nah, like it's championship or bust this season. So when that final buzzer went and then like I looked up and the confetti went off, like it was, it was a moment that I will forever be thankful for. Um, similar to when I got to do sideline for the NBA G League finals in year two when the 905 won, same situation, yeah. like being in the locker room with the champagne, um, watching Pascal Siakam. MVP to W to NBA champion, excuse me. Like that was, that's been an insane journey to ride too. Um, and Fred Van Vliet as well. But I, I did my job. I did the interviews. It was really cool to interview Elena, um, afterwards found out. I actually found out ahead of game five. Um, the day before I ran into, uh, Mrs. Tebow, uh, coach Tebow's wife in Starbucks. And she gave me a little inside information and let me know that, uh, they were going to celebrate, I believe, 30 plus years of marriage. And the year that he won an NBA title on staff with the Lakers was going to happen the same thing for their son, Eric. So it was essentially coming full circle for them. And wow. he was now doing it with his dad as his, you know, head coach and boss. So it was, it was kind of crazy to see that, but also too, Literally nine days later, Eric was getting married. So the T, missed, Mike and Nancy got married the year that he won a title with the Lakers. And then Eric and his wife were then getting married 10 days after they won with the Mystics, which was insane. I'm so glad they won because that wedding might have been really, really 
like down and and out. (laughs) (laughs) Saddest wedding ever. Right. So they took the trophy to the wedding, which was pretty cool. Everybody got a picture with it. Um, But I did my job, interviewed everybody, had a good time, took some pictures. And then the party afterwards was it wasn't just a party for the players. It was a party for the entire organization. It was a party for Coach Tebow. He's the winningest coach in WNBA history. This was his, if I'm not mistaken, fourth time getting to the finals. And you guys know when you're a head coach in professional sports, if you get to the finals once, it's amazing. If you lose, it sucks. If you get there again, that's amazing. And the pressure just keeps adding on every time you get there. So he was fighting the legacy the legacy story, you know, winning his coach in his, in history of the league, but never had a title, couldn't get it done in, in the finals. So to see him get his title was probably the greatest, the greatest moment to see, um, seeing Elena getting back to the finals and winning was pretty awesome, but just getting to see an organization as a whole celebrate as a family was really, really cool. I was, I was there with my coworkers and my friends. Um, it was a coworker's birthday, at the strike of midnight. So that was pretty cool. It was my birthday a few days later. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I, I partied hard. I was waiting like, for that answer for so long. <laughs> guys, my brother would be so proud of the way I partied. He would, like it, he would have been so proud of how part, how, how hard I partied that night. I like full disclosure, I was I was so tipsy that you know eventually at the end of the night I fell down a parking ramp I scraped up my arm like I I celebrated Jeez. I celebrated so ob- obviously there your season's done so you don't have to worry about work the next day but are you at the point where you're so good you could be hung over and do a play by play I was I was hung over and we had our so downside. <laughs> A downside to the season timing for WNBA and when they have to go overseas, they we haven't had a parade. They didn't get a parade the way you would see it because the finals MVP, Emma Miesemann, and a few other players had to leave within 24 hours of winning and go overseas to play. So they did, we did a celebration party for the team um, and the, what we call our founding fans. They've 99% of them have been fans since literally day one of the organization. They're all season ticket holders. They, the organization put this together in probably six hours. So I got a call at 9 a.m. I got in at about five. So, you know, I was tired. <laughs> um, hey, they want you to MC this, this celebratory um, party. Can you do that? I was like, what time do I have to be there? Uh, they were like, 11.45, I was like, cool, I'm going back to sleep. Call me in an hour to wake me up, and I'm going to shower. I don't know how I did it, uh, but I, I I did it. I got it done. And to your question, Shane, I think, um, and I, I just knowing myself, I, I would probably be able to do a game hungover. It would, I, I would felt felt like complete crap, but I would have got it yeah. done. No, good for you. You're a true professional. <laughs> well, that's the sign of a true professional. Yeah, yeah, exactly. By any means necessary. It's I you said uh, off the top, you know, you're in Washington, which is sort of the epicenter of of protest and and all sorts of things that are are going on in America and around the world. Um you also occupy a very unique sort of position because you're a black Canadian living and working in America, so you have this sort of like a unique uh, view of everything that's going on. Um what's the vibe like? I guess first of all in Washington right now? interesting 
<laughs> um, that's probably the easiest way I can put it. It's very interesting. Um, just because, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm at the epicenter of American politics. I, where, where I'm located, where I live is literally like I can 20 minutes and I'm, I walk to the White House. Like it's, I'm not far. I am in an area that is, you know, heavily populated by, by buildings, um, apartments, very young, like average person living here is anywhere between, you know, 25 and, and 35. Um, and at any given moment, like actually a couple hours ago, a, a protest went down our street and not, no roadblocks, nothing. They just, they messed up everybody's, you know, drive who, of the people that still are driving back and forth from work, they messed up that completely. Like they didn't care. People don't care. Um, and you know, they're, they're sick of what's going on. They're sick of, you know, the police brutality, they're sick of centuries of systemic racism towards black Americans, black people, black immigrants. It's, it's, they don't care anymore. Um, and you know, it's, it's crazy to think that there's been how many videos consistently to think of how many of there that weren't caught on video or videos were deleted because, you know, authorities might've got their hands on that person's phone and deleted it for whatever reason. But the moment that George Floyd took his last breath was the moment that black people in America and around the world basically said, F this, like we're done. So it has been, it's got, it's gotten better probably in the last, I would say week, week and a half, but the tensions are still high. Um, a couple nights ago, uh, there was a standoff between protesters and, um, Metro PD and, you know, people were probably injured and, and, you know, things like that. So at any given moment on any given day, um, tensions can, can bubble over and things can happen. And, you know, people are trying to take down the Confederate statues. And unfortunately, the person who occupies the White House is trying to put them back up. And I don't know why. I mean, for what reason? For what reason? All it, 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 that's exactly what is wrong with not just America. That's exactly what is wrong with the entire world. At what point do all lives actually matter? And the crazy thing about that crowd of all lives matter is until black lives matter, even in Canada with the indigenous people until their lives matter, until every single race and creed in this world matters all lives will not matter plain and simple Un like humanity is not going to matter to each other if we don't stop and listen um so it's it's dev i easiest way to put it is it is interesting and every day is very different Hey, hey, Meg, um, I feel like when we were growing up as sports fans, you'd hear stories about, you know, female reporters in the locker room and just being mistreated or sexually harassed. And as we've moved on in time, there's been more and more women who are on the sports beat and getting, you know, anchor jobs and, you know, play-by-play -play announcers like yourself. And we think of the NBA as maybe the most enlightened, but progressive community when it comes to professional sports. It's probably the most diverse uh, you know, the commissioner is speaking specifically about the, the NBA, like Adam Silver, you know, they espouse the, the values of equality and justice. And, you know, they have a very active 
players union that you know fights for a lot of good causes. But um, the thing that's been really interesting for us, and we talked about this off the top, is just really thinking about um, you know the lived experiences of people that aren't in positions of power necessarily. And I was kind of curious for you, like you know, even though you exist in this ecosystem that seems to be almost as enlightened as it gets, what are parts? When it comes to professional sports, what are parts of your experience that you go, ah, actually, that was actually really shitty, or this player or this coach didn't treat me with the same respect as a male colleague? Like, are the, uh, like, and just, yeah, what's the, um, you know, how, how, how do we do better uh, when it comes to thinking about this and, and making tangible change? I think, Max, it, it's, you know, when you think about the um, the gender inequality, it's the same as the race inequality. Um, I've, you know, I've lately, probably since I, I moved here, I've, whenever I speak to, you know, whether it's a, a class or a clinic, whatever it may be, I always try to remind them that when humans were created, we were created with one mouth and two ears for a reason. I think now in 2020, and crazy to think that we're saying this, but it should have happened years ago, we need to stop talking and start listening. You can listen better with two ears than you can with then you can talk with one mouth. Um, funny enough, I say that as I answer a question. But, um, you know, when it comes to making a change, I, I think a lot of it is listening. And, you know, the more you see owners uh, of, of different sports teams consistently say that, you know, Mark Cuban has said it a lot. Um, our own owner, uh, Ted Leonsis, has said it a lot. You need to start, we need to start having these conversations, but part of having a conversation is you need to listen to what people are saying because change doesn't happen if you don't listen. And I think that's where a lot of issues come into play when it comes to, you know, politicians. They love to hear themselves talk. And, and at what point do you stop liking to hear yourself talk and you start listening to your fellow politicians, your fellow senators, your, your fellow mayors? The only way change can happen in any in any city, any state, any county, anywhere, is to stop talking and start listening when people ask you a question about what can I do to help you make a change. Um, and I think you know, as as women and Black people, we need allies. You know, coming here to the U.S. and just in general, I'm a double minority. I am a interracial woman. But when you look at the color of my skin, people can, they could care less about the fact that I'm interracial. They automatically will just see she's black. So I'm still, but I'm still a double minority. I am a black woman. You can even add in the third one of being in America. I am a black woman on a visa. So I have to, you know, look at that and, and look at who are my allies. As people of color, as, as women, we need allies. Black people need, need white allies. Women need male allies. Men need women allies. And, you know, white people need black allies. You can't make change without having each other's back. And I think that is a huge thing. So ally, allyship and listening to what people are saying to you. Yeah. the um, I was curious um, what the sort of temperature is or just the sort of the, the dialogue happening within your organization. Masai had a really interesting statement earlier today 
Uh, he was talking about how you know they've worked hard to have more women in positions of leadership at MLSE, but he said there's still a lot of work to be done, and there's not enough you know people of color, and it, you know they, they still have a lot of thinking to do and and acting. Um, what's been have you been involved in conversations have, have you um, around the organization? Because I, I know a lot of just a, all of corporate culture to a degree is are doing roundtables and and you know, good leadership is really trying to listen. Have you been able to present any tangible ideas or have you heard about like things that are going to be changing in your organization? Yeah, and you know, Max, even to your point with Masai, he when he was on uh, Woj's pod, he said himself like. Yes, we want change, but I, I have to look at my own backyard. And I think every, every owner of every sports team, every general manager, every president of every sports team, they need to look in their own backyard. Um, and I know here we're having conversations. Uh, we're doing, you know, town, we're setting up town halls. We're having conversations where, you know, executive leadership and our ownership group is asking the black employees you know, for their opinions, what can we change? What concerns do you have? What would you like to see be done differently? So the conversations are being had. And I think that's a step. Um, you can't make a change without a conversation. So I get, I give credit and respect to the fact that they're willing and open to even ask because these conversations are uncomfortable and they can be very uncomfortable for people who are not black because they're, they're not experiencing what black people go through on a daily basis. They don't have to, you know, think about, okay, I just got pulled over lights in the back. Where are my hands? Where's my wallet? Where's my registration? Where's my insurance? I have to tell that cop if it's in my glove compartment, I'm going to reach for my insurance with my right hand so that they don't take that as me making a sudden movement. White people don't have to experience that. So the fact that, you know, team ownerships and front offices are willing to have those uncomfortable conversations, that's a step in the right direction. But from those conversations, then what are you doing? So that's what, that's what I'm waiting to see from personally and not just my own organization, but from corporate America, from the NBA, from the WNBA. Um, what are you doing? Because yeah, we can have these conversations. Great. But what are you going to do with that information now that we've had that conversation? I wanted to shift a bit to, uh, only got a couple more for you, Megan. Don't want to take up your whole night. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the idea that sports is, is on the precipice of coming back and, and there is a pandemic going on. Um, sort of, it feels like a lot of stuff is all happening at once all the time these days. Um, uh, some good like uh, social change and civil unrest and then some bad and terrifying like uh, a global pandemic. Um, <laughs> One, do you think sports is going to get there? Do you think we are going to come back? Because everyone's like, sports is back. It's like, well, you know, in North America, nothing's been played yet. And the WNBA is one of those sports that is supposed to start up in July um, in Florida as well. Uh, one, do you think we're going to get there? And two, do you think we should, uh, during a pandemic, get sports rolling again? It's it's tough. I mean, do I think we're going to get there? If something doesn't change in Florida... And that's where the leagues want to restart. I don't think so. Um, and you know, Adam Silver said, Adam Silver said today, um, you know, there is no option that is risk free with the, with the exception of not playing. That's the only risk free option right now. And it's like I, abstinence. Exactly. They're, they're like, what, what do you, what are you going to do? You want a risk free option? Your risk free option is don't play. 
And that's really all he's got. So he, he and, you know, Commissioner Engelbert are trying to figure out the best course of action. And I'll be honest, I am glad it's not my job <laughs> because it is a daunting task. I commend them for what they're trying to do. Um, the fact that on a daily basis, Florida continues to set records is concerning to me. So if I'm a sports league, do I want to put, you know, with the NBA, do I want to put 300 plus players alone? That's not even including the staff. Do I want to put 300 plus players and staff in, in a risk? And I understand that with, you know, with their bubble idea that they're, they're doing, they're trying to limit the risk within that area. I get it. I get there's always going to be a risk, but at what point are lives more important than the bottom line? I understand, you know, both leagues are going to lose a lot of money. They already have. I understand teams and owners are losing a lot of money. And, you know, I hope I still have a job after this pod comes out. But at the same time, <laughs> at what point are lives more important than than money? Like, it's it's really that simple. Will I be happy if sports comes back? Yes, of course. It'll be a great distraction from sitting at home all day doing nothing. It'll be a great distraction from watching the same episodes of Law and Order SVU over and over. Don't don't get me wrong. I love me some Mariska Hargitay and and Odafin Tutuola. I love them both. But like at what point? Like I can probably regurgitate the scripts off by heart at this point. Same with Criminal Minds. Um, like, will it be a great distraction? Of course. I'm I'm not denying that. Is it the right idea? I I don't think so. But that's just like it's that's just my personal opinion. I yeah. am not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. But at the end of the day, I'm going to listen to what the medical experts say. And if the medical experts are saying that doing the bubble is the safest way for sports to return, then I if I if I'm a player, I have to I have to understand that. But at the same time, the fact that both leagues are giving the players the option to play or not play, they're they're giving them that option. And if I was a player, I honestly can say I don't know if I'd be playing. I might be sitting out. Again, that's just me. But my thing is, would I be sitting out because of COVID or would I be sitting out because of social justice? Um, and I mean, that's like one of the, the major sort of decisions that has to be to be made. I mean, this is why Avery Bradley and Kyrie Irving have sort of been pushing to not go back in is to um, keep the focus on social justice and maybe right. not have the distraction of sports. I, uh, I also had a question. So uh, this is an important question. Uh, Shane used to play basketball with your brother Peak <laughs> on the high school team. I'm wondering West if Mount? you used to attend West Mount <laughs> yeah. represent. Did you attend any of those games as an observer? And can you break down Shane's game for us? Maybe <laughs> as a professional. <laughs> um, so I, I did attend the games. Um, I attended if I, I attended basically all of them as long as I didn't have my own practices um, for for travel basketball. Um, can I break down Shane's game? I mean, he was better than my brother. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a controversial <laughs> statement. My brother's going totally to right definitely there. beat me up for that. But, I mean, I'm on, I'm on your, your guys' pod, so I got I to gotta be politically correct, right? <laughs> no, I'll be, I will be completely honest with you guys. I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't even remember. It's for the I, best. 
To be honest, I remember... says a lot about my game right there. (laughs) I don't even remember my brother's game, if that makes you feel better, Shane. But, like, I legit only remember just going and being like, okay, mom, like, can I, can I go shoot at halftime? Like, I was that little, I was that little sibling. Like, I wanted every, every time out, beelined it out there. Every, you know, quarter break, I was beelining it out to the court to get in as many shots as possible. Halftime, I was, I was out there. Like, that's all I really cared about. I will say this. Peek and I were the best players on that team. <laughs> no doubt. We were. Was that, was that, with, was that without Mark the Lane on the team? Oh, oh. Yeah. Mark Lane. Oh, yeah. He was my rival. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, the last time I saw you in person was actually at your brother's wedding. And I hope that it's not too much longer until that we all see you in person again um and you know maybe you come back for some holidays and and the pandemic has moved on and we can all have a drink i mean i would come back if the if the prime minister would let me into the country (laughs) (laughs) do we need to start a campaign Uh, it's time to come home well no full disclosure my dad my dad told me a while i think it was mother's day he let me know like i i can't return to the country because i would be staying with my parents you know, Jim and Liz, and yes, to your listeners, I call my par- I call them Jim and Liz. You know, backstory: when you're little and you're in a largely populated area, if you yell "mom," all the moms are going to turn around. So I picked, <laughs> I picked up on that. So I would just yell "Liz" or "Jim." Ch- chances chances of you know everybody being named Jim and Liz are going to be very minimal. Um, so they know when I call them mom and dad that I usually wanted something. Uh, but no, because they're of they're in the vulnerability group. I'm not going to give their ages away because my mom would kill me. Um, but <laughs> I can't uh, I can't stay with them because just from traveling, I have to quarantine for you know seven to fourteen days. And Trudeau said, if the only place you can stay, because my brother won't let me stay with him, um, <laughs> wow. is, is with uh, is with people in the vulnerability group, you can't come back to the country. So, mm. but yeah, it's crazy. The last time I saw any of you guys was probably the wedding, which was what, like going on three years ago? I saw you at the Carter Effect premiere. That, w- that was going on three years ago, too. Oh, was it? Yeah, wow, because that geez. was... The, so the Car- Carter Effect and Giants of Africa were during my time with the 905. I think Carter Effect was mm. uh, going into season three with the 905. And then um, the Giants of Africa was the following, like around same same time, but the year after. So it's been a while. Wow. It's been time too flies. long. Too yeah. long. Too long. Well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate your time and uh, stay safe down there. Guys, I appreciate you for having me. And uh, sorry, Matt. I'm the cooler one now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Meg. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Okay, thanks again uh, to Megan McPeak for coming on here and uh, spending some time with us and catching up. That was great. Uh, Like I said off the top, gang, uh, we really haven't talked much in a few weeks. Uh, So I guess just in general, uh, before we get to to maybe a topic, uh, what's everyone been up to? And I'm going to start with our pop culture aficionado, Shane. Shane, how you been? Yeah, man. I feel like you've been busy. A lot of of family tree action happening. There's been a lot happening. And uh, I changed my Instagram handle, which caused a bit of a... uh problem for a lot of people i didn't know it would but it did controversial 
Mm-hmm. You changed, man. Literally and figuratively. No, I'm yeah. kidding. I, I was surprised when I saw it, but I, I, I didn't think it, like, what was the, what was the blowback you got? It was, uh, let people know what you changed it from and, and maybe they can go follow you if they don't already on Instagram. Yeah. So it used to be Shaney boy 69 and now it's <laughs> Sheen daddy 83. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think all things considered, it's a pretty good transitional name. Because Shaney Boy 69, obviously, I learned just recently, 69 apparently has a sexual connotation. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh no. So then I, but daddy can have a sexual connotation too. And uh, 83 is just the year I was born, just revealing my age. But yeah, a lot of people were messaging me saying, yeah, you've changed. Your brother Greg messaged me and said, sell out. <laughs> but honestly, I got like 60 messages. And it's interesting, though, because your brother, Greg, he's not wrong in calling me a cello because I, I did it because I felt like I was, you know, I was being approached by some sponsors and approaching some sponsors for the podcast. But my name can be so off-putting. I didn't want to be like if every, if life is percentage points, I didn't want that extra five to 20 percent chance of me ruining an opportunity or anything to hurt my family because of some stupid, potentially unfunny Instagram handle. Because, guys, let's as as hard as this is to for me to admit, I've matured and grown. But sure enough, the second I changed it, got like six sponsorships. And come on, I'm now sponsored by Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell by Hello Bello, and might get Daxy Boy on the pod. But yeah, come on, yeah. there you go. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not Hello, saying it's happening. What, what, what is Hello Bello, by the way? It's a company. Or? It, Hello Bello is a diaper company. So uh, mm. they they also do baby products. So if anybody wants thirty percent off diapers, <laughs> let me know. Classic, DM, classic Shane the, Daddy eighty three right there. Uh, yeah, yeah is, that, is that the promo code? Just enter it's, Shane Daddy eighty three. Uh, the promo code is uh, <laughs> this family tree thirty, mm. and uh, on Hello Bella. But yeah, and then I got uh, Perez Hilton on the the pod also. Ooh, how did that go? How did you how did you manage to finagle that? Because I feel like um, for a long time, Perez Hilton was like the guy. I feel like I don't think about him yeah. very often. Yeah, but, he talks um, about that. And that's the uh, one of the main reasons why he talks. He actually cries in the episode. It's it, He talks wow. about how he used to be the it girl. And then he kind of fell off. But he also talks about how he's the OG blogger. He's never going to leave. He's always going to be here. And how most people just peak after three years and fall off forever. But he's still clinging on and He's really he wants to kind of change his image. He's a a single gay dad of three, so he mm. he gets a lot into that and kind of how he used to be a, a bully and he runs a gossip blog and tries to stray away from that. It was pretty interesting, and we thought we could only keep him on the line for maybe twenty five to forty minutes, but we ended up keeping him for over an hour. And every time we try to wrap up, we'd be like, all right, Perez, thank you so much. You know, we don't want to take too much of your time. He'd be like, oh, no. And then he'd go on another tangent for 20 minutes. We would try again. He'd go on five more minutes. And then it got to the point where we're almost like, we have to go. It was such an interesting switcheroo. But, yeah, we're still, like, super thankful and glad that we had him. It was very interesting, but also very surreal to be chatting to someone like that so iconic for so long. Your phone rings right now, and it's like, hey, Shane, it's Prez. Just wondering <laughs> yeah. what you're up to. Just sitting here, not exactly. doing much. No, it, it honestly felt like a bit of a role reversal during the interview. Uh, has he been in touch since? Have, like, have you been keeping in he, touch? Have you been texting? He talks to Alex. Like, he DMs her and whatnot. But I, I'm not 
Hmm? Like I just emailed his manager and sent him the link and she was, I think his manager might be his mom. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but hmm. yeah. And how did you, how did you get, get him though on the show? Like, just, I like, just him, uh, so we had someone called the bird's papaya on our podcast and that's a big get in the maternity world. And that kind of, once we got her, it made it a lot easier to get other guests. So you kind of just keep trading up to higher and higher and higher. And then, and like, we got Jillian Harris on the pod next, and she's, like, the biggest person in all of the mom blogosphere. So that's actually mm. the biggest name. But guys like you and I won't know who that is, really, except for, like, unless you're a pregnant woman. But she was actually mm. one of the original bachelors or bachelorettes, and she was the first ever oh. Canadian bachelorette. Oh, wow. Interesting. In America, yeah. Mm-hmm. Erica. Uh, we haven't heard much from you since this podcast began, but you are here. It's good to see you. It's been a while. Ditto. What have you been up to? What's been going on in Erica's world? Not much. Chilling, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> if, if listeners could see you on this this call right now, you just let you stretched out and lean back, kick your feet up. Yeah, work's been like kind of crazy. We've been chugging along producing stuff. And Mike, I know you produced a commercial too. It looked like you were on set that day, right? I, yeah, I directed it. Cut it. Yeah, it was uh, it was something. But anyway, you, you've been out working? Yeah. You've been doing that? Well, I haven't been on site for anything. We've just been like producing from home, which has been pretty wild. I'm actually, I'm producing a shoot inside the bubble in Fort Myers on Monday. Wow. So it's all been very crazy. What does that mean, inside the bubble? What is that? Like the Raptors bubble inside the hotel. Oh. But Are you scared? Um, I'm really scared. I'm directing it. It's my first Whoa. like directing thing. So you're not even scared because of COVID. You're just scared that you have a big gig. She's not going to Florida. She's remotely doing No, I'm not going to it. Florida. I'm doing it from my computer screen. Like it's like a oh. virtual di- thing. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Shoot. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. That being said, my brother is yeah. going to Florida. I don't know if you guys knew that. I know you knew that, Max. Yeah. But yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're we're going to cut yeah, that because speak- I don't think it's. A, I don't know if it's official yet. Yeah, it's official. It is official. Yeah, I was just. Yeah. Did he get yeah, his COVID test? He's getting test? tested on Monday and Tuesday. And he's going. I actually saw him yesterday. I had to pick up some hard drives from him. Would you go to Florida if you were asked, Erica? Well, here's the thing. My passport expired in April. So, Mm. and then COVID happened. So I couldn't get pictures and I haven't been to a passport office. So even if they asked me, I couldn't actually have gone, which kind of sucks. Okay, Dream World though. You would have gone? Dream World. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would have packed a bunch of masks and I would have head down there. I don't want to spill too much, but uh, speaking of the Raptors bubble, I was texting with with our friend Nick Nurse, Ooh. and um, he said he put on a little bit of a concert with the piano in the lobby at the hotel yesterday. He did a, like full eight songs, and I think uh, Open Gym was filming it. So there's a little scoop for you, uh, wow. Erica. Wow. Wow, yeah. very cool. Yeah. Any R. songs in his uh, repertoire? Mm, I don't know. I, I, it wasn't on the set list that he sent me, but he has been working <laughs> yeah, on knocking list. at the door. <laughs> He did. He, he had like a, an Ed Sheeran song and some Prince. He's been sending me voice notes and stuff. It's been great. Has your friendship with Nick suffered or flourished over COVID? Uh, I think it's flourished, to be honest. Um, I went over to his place uh, into his backyard a, a couple of times and we threw the football around and we just like talked shop. It was really fun. I actually. love that story. I, Ash, is he allowed to share that story? Yeah. What, what story? Which, which one? Hanging out with Nick Nurse. Oh, uh, yeah. It was good. Yeah. We just popped over to his place and. Um, I brought a football over, and he was like, oh, it's, he's like, I played quarterback in high school. I got a hose. Let's throw the ball around. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I got yeah, a hose. Hey, I don't know that like a, a good arm. No. Oh, good okay. Arm. That's okay. Cooler. Uh, nice. Um, yeah. And um, Do you wear gloves when you throw the football? Or? 
No, I, I don't think so. Is that, is that part of the rules? You I don't, I don't know. football pretty good. Yeah. Does your dad uh, get jealous of your relationship with Nick Nurse at all? No, no, no. My dad's just very like happy for me. Like anytime like something fun like this happens, he's just like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, um, yeah. I also popped by Kyle Dubas's uh, backyard for his son's birthday uh, a few uh, few weeks ago too. It's nice to catch up with him. So, uh, who has a nicer house? Oh, I'm, great I'm question. Oh. They're, they're in the same neighborhood, though. Same neighborhood. I'll say that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, a thing, um, but it's fun. Uh, it, it's, it's fun to ask Nick questions about the NBA, and he always has like a good insider kind of perspective on it, obviously, because he's the coach. But um, a thing I did uh, the other day, guys, is uh, I got a COVID test, a COVID 19 test. And? Uh, uh, I still haven't heard back yet. It's been four days, so I, I'm assuming it's fine because I wasn't exhibiting any symptoms. Basically, I just wanted to do it because uh, if I want to visit my grandmother, you have to prove that you have a negative test in like the last week. And I also kind of want to give my mom a hug. I've been hanging out with my parents' backyard when I go into Toronto, but my mom, like every time I, I leave, she like looks at me really sad and just like, and she, my mom's not the most like touchy person either, but she just kind of like reaches out for me as I'm leaving and then looks like she's almost going to cry. There is like a human touch thing happening. So yeah. I'd like to be able to give my mom a hug. That's, that, so hey, that was the main reason I wanted to do it. But it was cool because um, I went to one of the drive-in uh, testing centers. Have you guys heard about this? I've heard in, they in, exist, yeah. In Hamilton or Toronto? Where'd you go? In Hamilton. It's right near your place, Shane. It's right on the mountains. Mm. Dave Andrew Chuck Arena. It's 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 a uh, ninety nine ninety nine, ninety nine bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. No, it's healthcare. It's free. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Does it hurt? I heard they like have to stick it down your throat, and it kind of hurts a little bit. Well, it's definitely not down your throat. You have a lot of misinformation. Yeah, <laughs> it's way up your nose. Um, and well, explain no, so it. How does it work? Yeah. Speaking of misinformation, I was doing, because uh, yeah. guys are starting to do backyard hangs now, and so I was in a backyard hanging out with a couple of the champagne boys, and someone comes up to me, and they go, what the hell did you tell Shane? And I said, what do you mean? And they said they ran into you uh, somewhere, and you were paying cash, and they go, why <laughs> yeah, are you this, paying this... cash? And he said, Shane said... <laughs> He said, Mike Veerman told me all the banking system is going to collapse, so I have cash on me. No, you, Mike, you told me that your brother-in-law told you to take out money. I go, really? Should I take out money? You go, I would. So I took out cash, and then, but I, I didn't have money in my bank account, so I had to use just cash for everything. So what I do is I, I, when a delivery person comes over, I put cash in a Ziploc bag, and I, I'll put like a rock on top of it, and I'll just say... Get the bag and like keep the change. But Get you did tell me that, Mike. Yeah, yeah. No, but they just said that Shane said that Mike said the banks were going to collapse. And I just said there was a conversation early on where I said it might be smart to take out some money in case there's some like disruption in service. It's good to have cash on hand. Well, isn't disruption in the service banks collapsing, you it, Mike? You made it seem like I was telling everybody like we were going to collapse. Oh, I think the way you just said it's no different than I told Savelli, and people always want to make me seem like I'm crazy, right? Right, right. Well, right. I like I told people not to hang out like the day COVID was announced, and they acted like I was a some big tattletale or a narc or something. <laughs> it's like Shane's insane because he didn't think we should all be making out at a party with our shirts off. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, the well, yeah, because Savelli saw you paying. He happened to run into you in front of your house up on the yeah. mountain, and he happened to see you paying the delivery guy with cash. And he's like, "Aren't we supposed to be just using card for everything? Because cash is bad or whatever." Mm-hmm. And you're just like, "Yeah, I just have stacks of money. All my money is like, you know, in my house right now, <laughs> and that's I just have to get rid of it." But uh, but it did make me uh, laugh a little bit thinking about like, all the hysterical conversations we were having well, and i had this money for over two and a half months so the money's perfectly sanitized and clean <laughs> for the record yeah. um, um sorry max though so what were you saying about your your covid test so basically yeah so um there is a testing center not far from you dave andrew Tech arena shane which is just like probably a four minute drive from your place and basically um you drive right into the arena like where the zamboni would like enter and dump the ice outside in the parking lot and you just do a loop, like it's a drive-through. Uh, you roll down your window on the left side. They take your, you know, health card information and ask you a couple questions. Then you just stay in your car. You go around to the loop and to the other side, and you basically roll your windows down. A nurse comes by with like basically a swab, a Q-tip-looking thing, puts it up your nose for three seconds, and you're done. And, that, and that's that. And, but here's the thing. I am a wimp, and everybody who's telling me about this COVID test is like, they go, oh, it touches your brain. Oh, it's the worst. Oh, my God. It's, you know, they swipe it up there for 10 seconds. Oh, And I was like, that and that description enough is good enough to not do it for me. Like, I'm just not going to bother. But then I was thinking, oh, maybe I should just do it. And um, I just want to tell for anybody who's who's curious about getting it, it's really not that bad. Like, I am a wimp. It's literally three seconds. What I did, though, was I I was in the car, I closed my eyes and I put a podcast on <laughs> while they're doing the thing. So I didn't have to like live with the, the visual trauma of seeing them like stick it up my nose. So if I, if I can give you one piece of advice, just cl- close your eyes and I'll be done in a second. So it didn't hurt at all. I mean, it, it, it's probably the equivalent of like just a little bit of water up your nose or something like that. Yeah. Do you acknowledge I'm- the person doing the test at all or? Yeah, I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? Did cool, you, did, cool, cool. Okay, you, and then did, when I see, did you tip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it will fit, uh, well, twenty percent on ninety nine ninety nine. Did you have to make an appointment, or did you use to drive up? I was supposed to make it. Well, on the website, it's a no appointment needed. I get there, and they said, oh, you're supposed to actually do an appointment for this site, but because nobody's here, come on in. Doesn't matter. And then I was in it. I was in and out probably in like nine minutes. Crazy. Oh my god, I've heard that the lines are crazy. I think they were, and maybe there still are some long lines, but overall, easy peasy. Um, But yeah, but wait, there's still Mikey directed a big shoot during this time period that I'd like to hear about. (laughs) <laughs> that that did happen we uh we were so at bell media everything like uh, most of the working world has been shut down for months and months and people didn't know who was going to be sort of the first person to go back and shoot something like almost all of our shows on ctv are, are remote right now so you know we didn't know when there was going to be like a commercial shoot uh and one came up um for shane and i's department um our creative director randall like wrote a spot it got approved and uh yeah like uh we were like, we were tapped to direct it. Uh, he asked both Shane and I, but Shane has a baby, like eminent. You could have a baby. Oh, next Sunday now, the baby's coming. Yeah. Which is so exciting. Which is so, so Damn. exciting. Um, and then, so he bowed out and I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'll, I'll sort of be the canary in the coal mine. I'll be the first one back. There's all these protocols that, um, 
like the the commercial commission of canada has like put out so like we read all those safety protocols we followed all of them but it was bizarre to be directing a commercial on set during covid you know just like it was like a stripped down crew we had to lose like we had to cast (laughs) our director of photography (laughs) in one of the spots because we we had would have had too many people on set if we added the extra actor so it was either it was either like i'm playing this role or you're playing this role to hattie our our dop and him and his crew made this thing look amazing it was like a a superhero spot Uh, but anyway it was it was weird to be on set the mask never came off i it was bizarre to wear a mask for like more than eight hours straight like it was it was such a weird experience where the back of your ears like start to hurt. So you really are like, man, like frontline workers are just these nurses who are putting in these 12 hour days who never take their masks off. It's a maybe to yeah, eat. Yeah, Lauren, 12 hours. Every time I pick her up, she's, she's had it on the whole time. It's it crazy. is wild, you know, and, and, but it's does your you face get do. itchy and whatnot? Yeah, it's like it's like you kind of like it. You get hot under there. I would say after lunch, you are now living with your own breath, which is like not the most pleasant experience. Where you're just like, oh my god, I'm like, how am I going to do, do this? Do you eat with the mask on? No, I. So basically, we all had like spots, like our own areas on set where you would go to, and that was kind of like your area. And there's tons of hand sanitizer and all that. So you would take the mask off for lunchtime, and then the mask would go back on, and then you'd go and interact with the crew and all that. And everyone on set had masks except for the actors. Do you sit by yourself like far away during lunch period? Yeah, I had like a director's hub, uh, but I would I would like go out and talk with Hattie when we had to like set up camera and do different shots and stuff. I was out like out there plotting those shots with uh, our director of uh, photography, uh, Hattie. Um, and then sometimes with the actors, if I needed to sort of show them what they were going to do physically, like with their positioning with their body, I would go out and I'd be six feet away and I would sort of explain the direction like physically and then they would sort of emulate me and then they would do it. But I was calling action from like, a different space like in its own sort of like hub like a director's hub was there any advantage to doing the shoot like that like any tips like that you gleaned from directing in that weird way it was interesting what was interesting is it's like um our creative director and his boss who normally maybe would come and be on set to sort of like they drop in for a couple hours you know whatever everybody like we basically had a remote setup where everybody could pipe in and watch uh like all of the takes it was very it was it was good because in some ways it's like they're there so if if there's anything they're seeing that, that 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 isn't working for them, they can tell me directly. You know what I mean? Um, but then also, it's like they're kind of there, so you might end up having to do extra takes or something because you know people have different opinions and all that sort of the, the too many cooks. But again, as you know, Shane, we're we're pretty lucky. Where our bosses tend to like be like, once you guys are doing it, we trust you guys. So yeah, it was cool to get out and and actually do a spot. And then I, I was editing it all, so I had like an editing setup here at my like on my like my dining room table. Normally we go back to work into an like our editing system, but it was so weird and. I basically had to abandon my family for five days to basically just get this job done. Uh, so yeah. like Danica was just like on full. Well, it turned out duty. so crazy amazing. Like I couldn't believe it. Like it oh, actually thanks. made me nervous to direct a shoot. Because <laughs> like following something like that under these times oh. is so nuts. Have you guys seen it? I haven't. I saw some of the sneak peek stuff. but I actually Oh, it's crazy good. Are you allowed to release that to the public? I don't think so. It's kind of, it's like uh. a business to business spot, like Bell, Bell Media for other agencies. But, but you yeah. can't say sneak peek online, Mike, and then not reveal. The I know. Thing. Well, here's the thing. I wanted to show some of it because it, it does look awesome and I'm pretty yeah. proud of it. Uh, but I knew I couldn't put the whole spot up on my Instagram. Oh, okay. So the sneak peek was just kind of a thing where I'm like, some people get to see it and then they'll forget about it. But then I did end up getting a bunch of messages where they're like, where can I see this, bro? And I'm like, ah, fuck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out. Like, it felt good for like for Shane and I sort of like it proved that you can do it. It proved that a shoot can yeah, be done. It's a huge that win can for be saved. 
Yeah, so that's that's what I'd sort of been up to in this space and time. But it was really fun and cool to do something creative because we've all been sort of. I know Max, you've been doing you know the music class and and other sort of like Arkell stuff that is a creative outlet. Um, Eric, like you said, you're back to work, Shane. You got Family Tree, but like for me to actually like do what our job is, you know, and like be creative again, at first I was kind of like, oh man, I'm going to go to a set and this is kind of weird and all this stuff. But then once I started doing it, you settle in and you're like, fuck, this feels awesome to actually be like making something again and, and doing interesting, interesting sort of work. So it was, it was awesome, but I had to take this whole week off of work and just take care of the kid because I owe Danica big time where I'm like, just let me get through this. I need to concentrate on this nonstop. And then I will, I will take over the, the baby for the whole next week. So that's where I'm at. Nice. Okay, guys, before we go, uh, weigh in. How are we doing? Because uh, how's, how's everybody uh, doing with their weight loss? Oh. <laughs> oh, I thought you just meant being uh, under uh, quarantine for 87 days or whatever. Um, for I'm, uh, I'm doing not the best, but I'm not doing the worst. I'm still like 19 pounds less than I was in January. Impressive. Damn. Impressive. So for me, that's good. How about you, Mikey? I, I, like I said, I'd be, I'd lost over 10 pounds at one point, like maybe that 12 pound range, but I would say it wasn't due to discipline and more due to anxiety and yeah. crushing fear, uh, of the future, uh, and a pandemic. <laughs> um, but I've, I'm still down, which is good for me. Like I'm fitting into the t-shirts, but I would say that as I've started to feel more comfortable, uh, and you know, I drink a little more beer, eat a little more pizza, uh, yeah, comfort food. Yeah. I, the comfort food has re-entered my orbit and my diet, so I probably, you know, I haven't, I haven't given back all my winnings, but probably about halfway there. <laughs> if, if this is a casino, the casino of weight. <clears throat> yeah, I think I'm about. Um, yeah, I think I'm down like seven, six or seven pounds, and I don't feel too like I haven't really felt like my lifestyle is that different. But it's really, I think, just comes down to any social thing we do. There's a chance. There's like two beers there, two beers there, two beers there. Or like, oh, eh, let's get a size pizza. Uh, you know, just like those little things do really add up. So yeah, no, I think I'm like down to like down six or seven pounds. Uh, Give me a hard number, yeah. Max. I'm 174. <laughs> I weighed myself 174 this morning. Okay. Wow. But that, but you say my scale is bullshit anyway. So yeah, so it's really know. like 180, but still good. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, what are you at? How you doing? Yeah, how yeah. how much you weigh? We can ask. That. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I gained that like ten pounds pretty quick into uh, into quarantine. Still chilling with it, I think. But I feel good. <laughs> I feel healthy. It's like fine. I'm not. I'm not stressed. Erica, about it. you have such just like a stone glaze. Yeah, are you on weed whole... gummies? You became Matthew yeah, McConaughey over these last three weeks. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish I was on weed gummies. No, I'm just chilling. <laughs> <laughs> you said that in the best. 